The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Well, this is an incredible day today. It's so good to have uh, parents and children up here. And uh, what a joyous occasion. We have this opportunity because we believe that children are a gift from God and uh, we, we celebrate them this day. And I want to just explain, it's called a parent-child dedication, as uh, Pastor Kevin has said, because the parents are committing themselves to nurturing faith and discipling their children and they're dedicating these children back to God. And uh, we're gonna also have a time in the service for grandparents and uncles and aunts, as well as finally the entire church family that have come alongside to support. We see various examples in scripture of when God has brought children and parents have brought children. First Samuel 1.27, Hannah thought, brought the boy Samuel before the Lord and this is what she said. She said, for this child I have prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him and therefore I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 2, we read that, See to it that you, your children, and their children after them will fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping these decrees and commands. Moses tells us the parents then impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're sitting at home, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Tie them as symbols on your doorposts and make this a real thing. The living God is among us. That's what Moses taught. A survey done about a decade ago among uh, Christian teens discovered 250,000 Christian teens that were, were interviewed, they found out that the most impacting influence in the lives of these teens was mom and dad. Mom and dad were two times or more, more influential than any other factor, including peers and programs at school and church and so on. <clears throat> and so parents, you carry an incredible uh, trust with you. When children were brought to Jesus, we read in the scriptures that he took them in his arms and he blessed them and he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And so this morning as we have this opportunity, I'm going to ask you parents to respond to a couple of questions right now. Parents, do you present your children to the Lord in grateful response of gratitude for the precious gift that God has entrusted to your care? Amen. And do you commit yourselves to the task of loving, nurturing, disciplining, and discipling them into the maturity that God has for them? Amen. Do you acknowledge your dependency on God to have humility in your hearts, love in your marriage, and wisdom in your parenting? And will you, by prayer and example that you set, point this child to their creator and their redeemer in the hope that they will come to faith in him as well? Amen. Amen. Brian and Katie, Sean and Jennifer, Tori and Emily, Justin and Caitlin, Joel and Ashley. Praise the Lord. And now I'm going to ask those of you who are related, those of you who are aunts and uncles and grandparents, would you stand right now? in honor of the fact that you are committing yourselves to also be the people that help stand in the wings and support these? Do you accept the responsibility of praying for these families, assisting these parents, and being an example to these children in loving, protecting, and teaching them toward a genuine faith in Christ? If so, would you respond by saying, we do? Amen. And congregation, now would you stand And as close friends and 
fellow believers in this church family, do you now all commit to standing with them, signifying your support as lifelong partners in this task of parenting that is equipped and ready for the nurturing of children in faith? If you would say so, please say, I do. We do. We do. Amen. 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 I have the privilege of seeing this little guy here, our grandson, and Thorin has been sitting through worship for several weeks now and enjoying it, I think. And uh, I'm just going to pray now a prayer of blessing over these children and these parents. And uh, would you join me now as we pray together? Oh God of our mothers and fathers, we thank you for the precious gift of life and children, for the privilege of shaping and guiding these little ones after your image. Lord Jesus, we pray for these children that each one of them would be protected by the evil one from physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual assault, that they would grow up to know and love you. We pray for these parents entrusted with their care. May you give them grace, patience, and strength to, the, to be the ones that they're called to be in each season of their parenting. Protect their marriages with an ironclad bond of love. Let them grow in their faith in you as Father, as they experience what it means to be parents and give them humility for the lessons that their children will teach them. May they find joy in the journey and superabundant grace in each other and in you, that they may guide these children safely through the troubled waters of this life and to the other side where hope lies. We pray for ourselves, our church family, grandparents, parents, everybody that's here, that we together would live up to the responsibility of being for these parents and for these children, all that you call us to be, to support them as they grow, to help them to know that Jesus is with them and to come alongside them and lift them up. We pledge ourselves to care for these families, O oh Lord, and we pray for your peace and your mercy to always be upon them. Through Jesus Christ we pray and for his glory, amen, 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 and amen. You may be seated. before you this morning. You are the God who always has been. You are the God who always will be. You are the God who is here with us now, changing our hearts now in our day-to-day, -day, in our real time. And we thank you that you care about us so much. And we thank you for how you continue to make your name known. And we pray that, that it will continue to be, as you have said, that generations will continue to know your name. And I pray that you would bless this church, help us as we pass the truth along of who your son is, that all might know. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, you guys can, can sit down. Uh, just now I'm gonna call up Zara and Zane Pollendine, and they are going to read the scripture. We are in Romans 14, starting in verse one, and they're gonna come up, and I'm gonna invite you guys actually to, to stand, to stay standing for the reading of God's word, please. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. 
One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Thank you so much, uh for that scripture reading, and <clears throat> I just love that song also earlier, Pass the Promise, a great and fitting song for Mother's Day. And um, I'd like to begin my message with a little poem that um, I came across recently. It's a rather satirical poem, <clears throat> so let me read it to you. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink, look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. <laughs> as I said, it's a satire. <clears throat> but like most satires, if it wasn't a little bit of truth in it, there would be outrageous and funny, and we wouldn't say them. And indeed, the fact is... Um, we all bumped into this kind of relational conflict that comes because we don't think alike, feel alike, see things alike, and we see that these differences do divide our fellowship and cause friction in our friendships. In fact, the past two years uh, has proven this to be true in some very painful ways of which we are still perhaps recovering from. Sometimes the problem is related to the fact that we don't agree on what is essential and what is non-essential or secondary. Like the little saying goes that you've probably heard, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity or love. That's an important rule of life, isn't it? Sometimes the problems occur because part uh, in, in a community, uh, there's a leadership that has to make decisions for the entire leadership uh, or the entire community. Whether that's a government, like the province of Manitoba, making decisions for the entire province, or whether it's a church leadership that is making decisions for a faith community. And so sometimes those are where the rub comes because the decision that is made corporately is not the personal private decision that you would opt for in your own expression of faith and so on. And then sometimes problems occur simply because there's a lack of genuine love and humility 
that can actually step back from your own opinions and look at life from another perspective and see another person's point of view. And I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book called Life Together. He said, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Well, it was the same way in the first century church in Rome. It was the same way in the first century Christians. Rome, uh, Paul was writing to the church at Rome, and in chapters 14 and 15, he's addressing this matter of disunity head on. He is been talking about how to love one another properly since chapter 12, but, but he really is getting into some of these gray areas that cause division, and particularly in Rome, in the cultural religious setting that they were living in. And he lays down some scriptural principles. Now remember, everything that we're talking about today is not related to the scriptural clear right and wrongs that the Bible lays down. We're talking today about the, the gray areas, that there is no clear prohibition on, on Scripture concerning. You see, the church at Rome was composed of both Jewish and Gentile believers. Both of them had to make room in their hearts and homes for each other, and they were very different on the way they gave their expression to their faith. They disagreed on so many cultural and religious aspects, even though both groups had come into freedom in faith in Christ. And they had to work that through in the same body of believers. How do they do that? The Gentile Christians, sorry, the Jewish Christians came out of a strong adherence to the law of Moses and were still figuring out what freedom in Christ looked like and what parts of the Old Testament law were still intact and so on, how it changed. The, the Gentile believers were, on the other hand, entering faith with this joy and enthusiasm, and they were saved by grace, and now they were inclined to just enjoy the freedoms that God had given them and uh, not be bothered in conscience concerning things concerning law, ritual, religion, and so on, or tradition. And these same true groups exist today in, in any church across, around the world. There are people who come into church with more of a religious baggage, and they carry more scruples surrounding lifestyle choices and activities. And there are people in the church today who have no religious background and have come to faith with less religious baggage that needs to be sorted and sanctified. Now, they might have other baggage that needs to be sorted and sanctified, but it's not in a religious kind of law-oriented, tradition-bound way. And so how do we come together and get along? Well, the Greeks had a word for this. The Greeks had the word adiaphora, and that word simply means, in the most blunt way, non-differentiable. In other words, not different. So they called things that didn't matter that much this adiaphora, and they had various ones. And in fact, what the church did in the early days was the church adopted this Greek word to refer to some of these gray areas, this disputable matters the points that cause disunity but are not essential to unity in faith. So let me just share a few of them from church history. There was, for example, in England, several years ago in the 1560s, there was the Vestarian controversy, which had to do with the vestments, the robes that the, the clergy wore during the leading of a worship service. 
And some of the people felt that the robes being promoted were too popish, too Roman Catholic. And others felt that, that the robes distinguished the cleric, the clergy, in a such a way that gave them more authority. And there was a division in the church in England over this, even though there's nothing in Scripture that says something about robes and clergy. In Germany, in 1681, in the city of Hamburg, there was the opposing of the building of a theater by the Pietists, a congregational group. And they opposed it because it was really opening the door to worldly influence. But the Lutheran church said, no, let it be built and let's keep, a, a, let's keep contact with it. Let's make sure it doesn't go overboard into worldliness. So there was a disagreement. Again, nothing in Scripture that says you can't or can build theaters in 1681, Germany. I've heard, I refer to these two examples because um, they're w really old <laughs> and because uh, we notice just by looking at those two examples that these gray areas change over time, that they're not the same as they used to be. And indeed, um, what one generation finds as an issue to stumble over, the next generation might see as a non-issue. And this can be disturbing if we aren't clear on what is rock-solid, universal, timeless truth and what is something that could be considered a gray area. Let me share another one with you. Sometimes this rocks the world, our world, of the heroes that we read from times gone by, the old dead guys that write books and we still read them and get discipled by them. And it can rock our world when we see that some of them maybe didn't have the kind of same scruples that you and I have. I'll share one of them with you. It's, um, it's by, with Charles Spurgeon. <clears throat> now, I know some of you love Charles Spurgeon, the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London, England, during the 1800s. He had a disagreement with a fellow pastor, uh, Joseph Parker, of a congregational church at the same time in London. They were good friends. They even exchanged pulpits once in a while, but they had a disagreement. Now, what was the disagreement surrounding? Well... Um, the word has it that Charles Spurgeon accused Parker of being unspiritual because he attended the theaters. And Joseph Parker accused Spurgeon of being unspiritual because he smoked cigars. Now, I read a bit in his biography that apparently it wasn't more than one a day. <laughs> and one day a woman asked Charles Spurgeon, what, what, what about his smoking cigar habit? And he said, well, I don't smoke in excess. And then she said to him, well, what would be excess? And in the typical Spurgeon way, he responded by saying, no more than two at a time. <laughs> now, that might rock your world about Charles Spurgeon. We see, we see things changing. This, this, what are we expression of faith? How does it look in every generation and in every culture? Indeed. Well, the gray areas of our lives have to be figured out, and we have to understand what is the truth of God's Word that does not change, the living and abiding Word of God. I want to share a few with you, and uh, you, can, you can do your own little checklist on whether you put this in a gray area or somewhere else, and some of you younger people might just be shaking your heads when I share this list. And, okay, let's go. Um, here's a, <clears throat> first of all, attending movie theaters or certain television that you watch. Um, some of you folks that are older will have those things that you grew up with in your religious home background. Makeup 
and cosmetics. You know, what's the big deal there, some of you are saying. Uh, what about using playing cards? You know, the ones with those pictures of the jack or the queen or the king on? Or what about dancing and going to parties? The men and women, the clothing that is appropriate for men or women in any generation. The use of birth control. What kind of alcohol use is allowed or any at all? Tobacco, whether you're smoking it or chewing it, what is allowed there? Bingo or gambling. Halloween, is there a participation by Christians in that or not? Homeschool or public school, make a decision. Sports, do you work and play sports or shop on Sundays? Sunday laws was huge in this land until uh, in my earlier days. Translation of the Bible, which one do you use or not use? The music you listen to, what's allowed and what's not to? How many of you burned your albums when you were younger? Um, and then finally, what kind of instruments are allowed in worship? I mean, that was an issue sometimes in different churches back in the day. And so like I said, some of you younger folks might be looking at this list and saying, what? What's the problem? And others of you might be looking at this list and saying, hey, whoa, 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 because one of these things on this list is not a gray area to you, and you're having trouble with this. I get it. Dissension occurs sometimes when we have the difference, we do not differentiate between spiritual preferences and spiritual principles. And um, the spiritual principles must be clearly rock-solid biblical. The church in every generation and every Christian has to discern what are disputable matters, what are essential matters, and how do we do life together if we disagree on some of these things. God's Word has some things to say about that, and today Paul is going to address that. I've got four things to say about this matter from chapter 14. And I'd like to start by saying that the call to live in unity amidst diversity, first of all, it means that we welcome one another even as God has welcomed us. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, not to quarrel over opinions, though. Then verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Let's look at three key words in this scripture. First of all is the word opinions. It's not the word adiaphora that I referred to earlier, the Greeks. It's very similar, though. It, it has to do with the idea of a back-and-forth reasoning. It has to do with the base of the word dialogue, except the dialogue's not as friendly. This back-and-forth reasoning in this word has to do with the idea of expressing a viewpoint to someone who disagrees with you, and it goes back and forth, and what it serves to do is only undergird each person in their already formed prejudices and biases. And I'm sure all of us have been in those conversations where we're not really listening and learning from each other. We're just kind of digging in more and more. That's what this word opinions is. It has to do with things that are not essential to faith that we should not worry about. Let's not die on this hill. We can disagree and be okay on this. Another word is the word welcome, used twice here. Proslambano means the idea of actively receiving someone. In other words, you take the initiative to reach out and receive them, and it's a very strong word. Well, of course it's a very strong word because it's used of how God receives us. God welcomes us. God goes out and takes the initiative with us while we were yet sinners. That's the word that is used of how we relate 
to those that disagree on disputable matters with us. You know, God welcomes us, and so we should welcome them. And then the third word has to do with those who are weak in faith, the weaker or stronger. Astaneo is the idea of weak, not in faith in the sense that there's a moral doctrinal compromise, not this idea of somehow being not loving the Lord as much, not being spiritually passionate. That's not what weak in faith means here. What it means here is being weak in assurances, weak in confidence or a conscience that does not allow you to participate in certain things because you're weak in conscience or in assurance, such as, in this case, eating meat that might have been the day before sitting on a pagan altar before it was sent to market to be sold. And if that makes you stumble, then you shouldn't eat that. But some Christians in the, in the church in Rome said, that's no problem. I like the discounted price, whatever. You see, there were Mennonites in the church in Rome. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Did I say that out loud? Sorry. Have the car running, honey. <laughs> so... So here, here is the word weak. In Romans 14 and 15, the strong ate all foods, including meat. The weak ate only vegetables. The strong had all days the same, Sabbath, Lord's Day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, doesn't matter. The weak, no, no, don't mess with the Sabbath. The strong, they could eat or drink wine. The weak abstained from certain things. That's what it says later in chapter 14, verse 20, 21. And so Paul warns, he says, you know, express your freedom, but don't do it in such a way that causes someone else to stumble. It's likely that the Jewish Christians were weaker in conscience and the Gentile Christians stronger. But again, I want you to know it depends on the issue, you know, the dozen issues that I showed. It depends on which issue where you will come down as a stronger brother or sister or a weaker brother or sister. And I'm gonna, I think I'm going to share one with you. I think I'm the weaker brother when it comes to anything related to gambling. Okay. Now, that might be in your book an absolute a la carte, no, or no uh, blanket, wrong, never do that stuff. You heard me preach a few weeks ago about the kinds of giving that should be not allowed in the church, the giving to get, and the giving like a tax system. And uh, I, I, I just grew up with a conscience about this gambling thing. And I just put everything under that, that banner, everything, 50-50 draws and scratch and win tickets and bingos and so on. I just put it all under that. And, and that's me, okay? Now, I, I don't find an actual verse in the Bible that discusses that. I can, I can tell you, if you want to talk about it, principles that I think would violate that and, and I need to live by. But you may not, and of course, in excess, you know, where, is, where do you draw the line? Is it right for me to sit in judgment for someone at someone who, who, who buys a 50-50 draw to raise money for some kind of a, a cause? I'm, I'm working this through, folks. I'm still not sure, okay? I'm just telling you that sometimes, depending on the issue, you're going to be the weaker or the stronger brother on a matter, when I was younger, I had, when I was, God got a hold of my life when I was in my teens, and I was definitely weaker in so many areas, and I just had blanket black and white rules for all kinds of things. And I can see how it really turned off some of my friends and my brother in particular and just saw Christianity as moralism. Do's and don'ts. If that's what it's all about, forget it. 
It wasn't about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, as Paul says later in chapter 14 and 15. And so we need to be careful. Again, it's important to note that Paul never discusses doctrinal matters in this same way. Huge truths of God's word about creation, male and female, redemption in Jesus Christ, the word of God being the authority of Scripture. These are not to be played with. These are timeless truths. Paul's not talking about those things. He's talking about disputable matters. I got a, I got a, maybe you did too, I got an update on my Bible app this past week, and it said, it said bug fixes and performance improvements. And I thought, well, I don't think you can improve on this one. <laughs> Sorry, that's just, that's just my sense of humor, I guess. <clears throat> Paul's point in this is some people have good reason for not doing something because of their conscience. And instead of judging them, you should, you should uh, not encourage them to ignore their conscience. Instead, reach out, welcome them, and don't force them to exercise a freedom that they don't have, and you do. Don't do that. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 11, by your knowledge, don't destroy the brother for whom Christ died. Let's move along to the second point. The call to live in unity amidst diversity means we don't pass judgment on or despise one another over matters of opinion. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God is welcome. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? The two words that are very strong here are the words despise and pass judgment. The word despise means to bring to naught, to reduce to nothing. It means to, in your mind, hold someone an attitude against someone so strongly that you cast them out as nothing. You treat them with utter contempt. It's a very strong word. And the word past judgment used here in verse 3, verse 4, verse 10, verse 22, it is one word in Greek, and it has the idea of separating out and isolating. That's what judging does. You separate something out, and you isolate them. And so what you're doing when you judge in this way you judge another person by having an opinion that is different than their opinion, and having, based on that opinion, you take them out of the group that you're in and you separate them out. And then there's things that happen sometimes in the we-they talk, which is very dangerous and destructive to the body of Christ, to a family, to friendships. You need to be careful. In this case, it was some who ate meat and some who did not. Have you ever noticed how strongly you can feel about your opinions? Like, really be honest with yourself. I can. I've seen it. I can have such strong views and strong opinions. I can think I'm completely airtight right on some matter. And it hinders me from hearing somebody else and listening in humility. And so we need to, we need to be careful. And um, patience, humility, love are needed. We need to not let the devil outwit us. Ephesians 6, 12, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and this present darkness over spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, Satan just loves to see Christians fighting. And often they're fighting over non-essentials. 
Just let, let, let that person have their view and let them have, let you have your view, but it doesn't need to reconcile. You don't need to convince them otherwise. Paul says in verse 2 that the stronger brother on any given matter despises and the weaker brother passes judgment. I want you to think about that. That's generally true. The strong, if you're on an, ad, on, on an issue and you're the stronger brother's side, you will tend to despise, and if you're the weaker sister or brother on the side, you will tend to pass judgment. Let's, here's how it sounded in the church at Rome. Come on, eat some meat. What are you afraid of? Right? And on the weaker brother's side, here's what it sounded like. I can't believe they're eating meat that yesterday was sitting on that pagan altar. We can see that on so many fronts, different issues, depending on the side that you're on. And these words, despise and pass judgment, Paul is saying these should never be the ways that we resolve our problems. Despising and passing judgment is not the way of the church. It is the way of the world. Now, the world gets that wrong. They think it is the way of us because we tend to wear that too much. But it's not meant to be the way we deal with things. You know, the divided culture that we live in needs to see a united church, doesn't it? And we do that not in, you know, this church having a big service with another church. That, that carries nothing in the world. We do that at work, at school, at home, at play, on the street, when you and another Christian that don't really see eye to eye on things love each other in spite of it and maintain that friendship. And so sometimes the problem exists because we Christians have a very wrong view of our freedoms and what freedom is. Indeed, in the Scriptures, freedom in Christ is freedom from some things, but it's equally freedom for some things. And if Jesus Christ has set you free from something, it's for the sake of being his bride, his body, and loving on those that differ from you and showing by this shall all know, all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. By this will all people know. And so I remind you again that your freedoms are not so that you can Exercise your rights and freedoms, but that you can love. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about the politics of the lamb versus the politics of the lion. Let's move on to the third point, and that is we're, we, the call to live in unity amidst diversity means we are convinced of opinions in our own minds, but always under the lordship of Christ. Verse 5. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Summarizing verses 6 to 8, he says, whatever you do, do it in honor of the Lord. And then verse 9, do this. To this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord, both of the living and the dead, or the dead and the living. So clearly Paul is leaving room for each of us to have our own expression of faith. We're not all the same. And um, we can have a conscience that expresses itself differently in different areas of lifestyle and choice. But what matters most to Paul is the lordship of Christ. That's what matters most to Paul and to the Lord. If you are convinced in your own mind before the Lord about a matter that's gray area, 
If you are open to correction from God's word and from other sisters and brothers in Christ, if you have a clean conscience about the matter, if you are not acting in rebellion or unlovingly towards somebody else, then live your life under the banner of freedom in Christ and enjoy life without that conscience bothering you because it bothered somebody else. Live your life. But keep the balance. What is the balance? Well, it's actually reflected in some of Paul's letters because not every church that Paul wrote were the same. For example, to the church in Galatia, the Galatian churches, there was a tendency toward much legalism. And they were lumping in with, with the essentials a whole bunch of non-essentials and saying, if you don't do it this way, you're not a Christian. And Paul says to them in chapter 5, verse 1, Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. But the church in Corinth was very different than the churches in Galatia. And the church in Corinth was, was, was playing with their freedom and flaunting it and abusing it. And he said several times in chapter 6 and 8 and 10, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful or profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so there's a balance to keep in knowing how to live out our lives. And that's why next week as we get into the next portion in chapter 14, verse 22, Paul says, the faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. You know, you don't need to convince anybody else and you don't need to agree with anybody else on certain matters. Keep it between yourself and God. That's okay. That's not being hypocritical. And then finally, I want to say that the call to live in unity amidst diversity means that we will remember we give an account of ourselves to God and we don't give an account of anyone else to God. It's a really sobering way to end this section, isn't it? Paul says in verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. What a way to think. It really, it really brings into focus some of the things that have caused division in our families or in our friendships or in our church. It really makes us refocus on eternity. And Paul is saying, put that perspective on everything that causes discord because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the, the Bema seat of Christ, that great judgment seat. We're going to all stand, and we're all going to be required individually to give an account of ourselves to God. That careless word, that unkind thought, that slander of someone who didn't agree with your opinion, that despising in your heart of somebody, that passing judgment, that sin of omission or commission, that ignoring of someone when you know the initiative was on you to go and make things right. Eternity will bring into perspective just how important, just how weighty these things really were in the light of eternity. And the thing that's amazing is because of the fact that we have God's word and we have each other to understand it more by, we can live in light of eternity now. 
We can take those things that are out of whack with the weight that God's Word puts on them, the disputable matters, the gray areas, and we can put them back into perspective, and we can go to that sister or brother, and we can say, you know, I'm making maybe too much of this. I might be wrong here. You don't need to agree with me on this. That's the way God calls us to. May the Lord have mercy that instead of driving wedges between us, we will see bridges between us. I want to share in closing five questions that you might want to pray about or ask yourself, and these are pretty straightforward and simple. But again, if you're not sure if something is uh, an area that, that you need to be concerned about, well, ask yourself, first of all, is this a matter of sin according to the Scriptures? And, and uh, not just you reading it, maybe talk to some friends. Is this a matter of sin according to the Scriptures? If it is, then clearly you have your answer. Secondly, does what I want to do hinder or cause someone else to stumble? That's a, that's a caution. That's a yellow light. Just wait a second. Am I mature enough to forego this pleasure, this thing, this activity just for the sake of a person. Next week we're going to talk about the law of love in that. Thirdly, does this affect my witness or the influence of Christ through me upon others? You know, to not do something because there is an optics there, there is a world watching, that's not people-pleasing. It's just being concerned about not letting someone stumble because of something you are or do. Third, fourthly, does, does this activity go against my conscience? It, clearly, you have to be careful to keep a clean conscience before God. And finally, is this wise? Is it profitable? Are there principles in Scripture? Maybe there's no direct verse, but are there principles in Scripture that warn me about something and give me pause? As we shall study next week in Romans 14, 17, I love what Paul says for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, so I hear Paul saying, so don't make the kingdom of God about whether you do eat that or do drink that or don't do this or yes, do that. Don't make the kingdom of God about that. I did that when I was 19. Don't do that because the Bible says it's all about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and righteousness in Christ. Let's pray. Father, would you help us as we think through these things that we probably had in our minds some people that um, came to mind as we think through the different areas of gray areas of, of Christian living. And so we ask you, Father, just to lead us by your mighty hand and your righteousness and and let the law of love and the law of truth guide us as a seamless tunic. Let love and truth be bound together in the way we live for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you give us wisdom when we ask. You are the God of all wisdom. And we ask as we face all of these different things and decisions and issues, things around us in our life that are hard to discern, Lord, what is, what is honoring of you and what is not, I pray that you would show us, and I pray that we would hear. And also, as we sing songs like this, where we sing about us as your church, we can't help but think about 
this group and we can't help but think about how you've placed us together and we can't help but think about how you are using these relationships to continue to grow us. And I pray that you would, uh, being the God of peace that you are, that you would continue to give us peace together, that you would continue to give us love together, that we would seek to build one another up. And that would be, that would be how we live our church life. And I pray that you'd be honored by all of it. Uh, all of this is for you, and you've given us the joy of relationship here too. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.